<laughs> In first service, I put it up myself because I got tired of waiting. But Josh got here. He's my hero. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. Good morning. How's everybody doing? It's good to be together, isn't it? Especially in times like these. I want to pray again before we open up and hear from God's word today. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the chance to be together. Thank you for all those that are home, worshiping in their living rooms, bedrooms, wherever they're at. Lord, I pray that no matter where we're at today, we would experience your presence with us. That you would help us by your Holy Spirit to hear from you today what you want to say to us. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a popular children's Christmas program that many of you are, or maybe your kids grew up watching, called The Year Without Santa Claus. In this cartoon story, two brothers, Snow Miser and Heat Miser, do their best to keep Christmas from coming when Santa catches a cold and becomes discouraged over the lack of Christmas spirit. If you don't remember the Miser brothers, maybe this photo from a past jam Christmas party will remind you as Kim Anderson models her heat miser costume. Over the years, there have been many efforts to try to stop Christmas from coming, both fictional and real life. Probably the most well-known story of all the fictional accounts of someone trying to keep Christmas from coming is how the Grinch stole Christmas in the unique poetic rhythm of Dr. Seuss, we read, then he growled with his Grinch fingers nervously drumming, I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. But it's not only fictional accounts that efforts have been made to keep Christmas from coming. Retailers, in conjunction with media, have effectively removed the greeting, Merry Christmas, from our politically correct vocabularies and replaced it with happy holidays. Other true-to-life examples of efforts to keep Christmas from coming can be found in the Bible. I was reminded recently in a lesson I did for Jam of the story of Esther and the efforts of Haman to annihilate all the Jews, which would have effectively cut off the seed of Abraham through the line of David and served Satan's purpose to stop the promised Messiah from coming. 
The plan, of course, was thwarted by the providential faithfulness of God in the life of a young girl named Esther, who became queen, as the text says, for such a time as this. And then we come to the character of today's text, the main character, that is. His name is Herod, and we read about him and his efforts to stop Christmas from coming in Matthew chapter 2. I invite you to open up your Bibles and join me as I read that. It will be up on the screen also if you'd like to follow along that way. We're going to read rather lengthy text, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may... Come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over to the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. 
as we look at this text, we get a quick answer as to why Herod would want to stop Christmas from coming. In verse 2, it says, Herod was troubled. Why? Well, we learn from the Jewish historian Josephus that in the year 40 B.C., the Roman Senate gave Herod the title King of the Jews. And yet, here are three wise men, Gentiles no less, asking about a baby who's been born King of the Jews. Herod, being the deviously ruthless leader that he was, carefully proceeded to seek more information. He goes first to the chief priests and scribes, and they tell him about the Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. He then devises a plan to use the wise men to smoke out the baby if he exists. He gives the wise men the information that they're looking for about his birthplace and sends them off to Bethlehem asking only that if they find him, they notify him so that he too can worship the newborn king. After the wise men go to Jerusalem and find the baby king, God intervenes by warning them in a dream not to return to Herod. Herod, then realizing that he's been outsmarted by the wise men, don't you think he should have had a clue when they were called wise men? He comes up with his plan B to root out the baby king. He sends his henchmen to kill all the male children in Bethlehem who were under the age of two in that region. Now, some secular historians have questioned the veracity of this account based on the fact that their historians do not record this event. In reply, Christian historians looking back on the size of the city of Bethlehem at that time, note that this may not have historically been a real major event, possibly only affecting 20 to 30 children. And for a ruler as cruel as Herod, he was known for having killed many members of his own family, having them executed, it may not have stood out as a major event, especially since it took place outside of Jerusalem. Well, Herod dies shortly after this time in 4 B.C. By the way, if that date throws you off, uh, you may have heard or may not have heard, but our calendar is actually off by a few years based on the death of Herod and the birth of Christ. But Herod dies believing that he has successfully killed this baby king and in effect stopped Christmas from coming. What he doesn't know, of course, is that God has once again miraculously intervened through an angel in a dream telling Joseph to take his family and hide in Egypt, which he does until the death of Herod and another plan of Satan to keep Christmas from coming, has been thwarted by the power of God. 
Today is the second Sunday of Advent. Most of you know Advent means simply coming. When a special guest, dignitary, artist, is coming to our town, maybe to speak at our church or to visit us at home, we get excited. In that same way, the Advent season is a season of expectant waiting, hopeful anticipation, and joyful preparation. Someone has said, the holidays may bring the burden of expectations, but Advent brings the joy of expectation. Advent has always been joyful in our house as my wife goes out of her way to make it special, using an Advent calendar and doing all kinds of fun things for our children. Still today. One of my favorite songs to sing during this season is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because it captures the anticipation and the longing of those who are waiting to celebrate the advent of the Messiah. I want to take a few minutes today to look at advent from the perspectives of past, present, and future. From the perspective of the past, we know that despite the efforts of Herod and others, Jesus the Messiah was born in Bethlehem. Galatians 4.4 says, When the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his Son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law so that he might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. We commemorate an event that took place over 2,000 years ago. The God of the universe took on human flesh, being born to a young teenage girl. He appeared to be a helpless baby. When in reality, this was the one of whom Paul said, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. All things were created through him and for him. We commemorate his coming in the past and we celebrate his coming in the present. He is the God who was and is. As believers, we celebrate his presence in our lives today, on Christmas Day and every day. He is with us. Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. COVID has stopped many things this year that I never dreamed could be stopped. March Madness, weddings, funerals, taxes, and even the jam lock-in. I want to assure you this morning that COVID cannot stop 
Christmas from coming. Emmanuel, God is with us. COVID will have its effect on Christmas. There may not be as many Christmas parties. Our family gatherings may be limited. My family loves to do a special activity together every year. Sometimes it's a Christmas concert or a Christmas play we go to all together. We like to do something special like that. I don't think it's going to happen this year. That makes me sad. But let me be as clear as possible when I say that will not ruin our Christmas. COVID cannot keep Christmas from coming when you understand that what we're celebrating is the coming of the Savior and his presence in our lives. I actually think for some of us, Christmas 2020 could be our best Christmas ever. As all those peripheral things, those distractions, the busyness are stripped away. John Piper refers to Jeremiah 23, 29. That verse says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord. And then he extorts us to gather round that fire this Advent season. It is warm. It is sparkling with colors of grace. It is healing for a thousand hurts. It is light for dark nights. Maybe this Christmas... Our focus will be put where it rightly should be put every year on the Savior who was born to be the light of life for all of us. Jesus is the God who was and is and is to come. When it comes to discussing the future advent or the second coming of Christ, There are many different opinions about timing of events and what certain passages mean. But the one thing that all Orthodox believers agree on is that Jesus is coming back. Late last week, the Denver Broncos' second-string quarterback was diagnosed with COVID. No big deal, right? The Denver Broncos still have their starter, Drew Locke from my alma mater, the University of Missouri, and a third-string quarterback on their roster also. Not only that, they also have another quarterback on their practice squad who they can bring up in an emergency. Well, unfortunately, some of you probably heard this story, all three of those guys were contact traced to the second string guy and therefore unavailable for their game last Sunday. It made for an interesting story, though not a very competitive game, as the Broncos ended up having to play one of their backup wide receivers who happened to play a little quarterback in college as their starting quarterback, as their only quarterback that day. Now, he did complete a grand total of three passes the whole game. 
One of them was to his own team, two to the other team. I share that to help illustrate the idea of the imminency of Christ's second coming. The return of Jesus Christ is said to be imminent in the same way the need for a second-string quarterback is imminent. As he stands on the sideline, the second-string quarterback must always be ready. He needs to be ready to go in the next play every time because you never know when that quarterback's going to get injured. He, he has to always be ready. At the same time, he could be playing as the second stringer to Indianapolis Colts quarterback Phillip Rivers. He started 231 consecutive games over 15 seasons. Always ready, never knowing when you might go in. In the same way, we don't know the timing of Jesus' return. We know it is sure. We know it could be at any moment. We're told to wait expectantly and to be ready. Advent celebrates that Jesus came, that Jesus is present with us now, And that Jesus is coming again. I'm going to share a story now that these are not my words. This is taken from a story I got off the internet. The the, uh, time is during World War I. On Christmas Eve 1914, in the dank, muddy trenches on the western front of the First World War, a remarkable thing happened. It came to be called the Christmas Truce. And it remains one of the most storied and strangest moments of the Great War, or of any war in history. British machine gunner Bruce Barron's father wrote about it in his memoirs. Like most of his fellow infantrymen of the 1st Battalion of the Royal Warwickshire Regiment, he was spending the holiday eve shivering in the muck trying to keep warm. He had spent a good part of the past few months fighting the Germans. And now, in a part of Belgium called Bois de Plegstert, he was crouched in a trench that stretched just three feet deep by three feet wide. His days and nights marked by an endless cycle of sleeplessness and fear, stale biscuits and cigarettes too wet to light. Here I was in this horrible clay cavity, Baron's father wrote, miles and miles from home, cold, wet through and covered with mud. There didn't seem the slightest chance of leaving, except in an ambulance. At about 4 p.m., Baron's father noticed a noise. I listened, he recalled. Away, across the field, among the dark shadows beyond, I could hear the murmur of voices. He turned to a fellow soldier in the trench and said, Do you hear the Germans kicking up that racket over there? Yes, came the reply. They've been at it some time. The Germans were singing carols as it was Christmas Eve. In the darkness, some of the British soldiers 
began to sing back. Suddenly, Baron's father recalled, we heard a confused shouting from the other side. We all stopped to listen. The shout came again. The voice was from an enemy soldier speaking in English with a strong German accent. He was saying, come over here. One of the British sergeants answered, you come halfway, I come halfway. What happened next would in the years to come stun the world and make history. Enemy soldiers began to climb nervously out of the trenches and to meet in the barbed wire filled no man's land that separated the armies. Normally, the British and Germans communicated across no man's land with streaking bullets. But now, there were handshakes and words of kindness. The soldiers traded songs, tobacco, and wine, joining in a spontaneous holiday party in the cold night. Baron's father could not believe his eyes. Here they were, the actual practical soldiers of the German army. There was not an atom of hate on either side. And it wasn't confined to that one battlefield. Starting on Christmas Eve, small pockets of French, German, Belgian, and British troops held impromptu ceasefires across the Western Front with reports of some on the Eastern Front as well. For those who participated, it was surely a welcome break from the hell they had been enduring. When the war had begun just six months earlier, most soldiers figured it would be over quickly and they'd be home with their families in time for the holidays. By the time winter approached in 1914 and the chill set in, the Western Front stretched hundreds of miles. Countless soldiers were living in misery in the trenches on the fronts while tens of thousands had already died. And then Christmas came. It's a great story. Christmas always comes. World War I couldn't stop it. Herod couldn't stop it. The Grinch couldn't stop it. And certainly COVID cannot stop Christmas from coming. I close today by borrowing and butchering some of the closing lines from How the Grinch Stole Christmas. COVID hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. Yes, COVID was there, striking blow after blow. Many people stood puzzling. How could it be so? It came despite quarantines. It came despite masks. It came despite illnesses. That was no easy task. Maybe Christmas, they thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means that Jesus was born. Amen. Join me in prayer. Jesus, we worship you today. 
as the God who was and is and is to come. You are a great, mighty, powerful God, and no one, no one can stop you from doing what you sovereignly plan and decide to do. And we praise you as our sovereign God. We praise you also for the great love you showed when you sent your son to be the savior of the world. Thank you for this season when we can celebrate that. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Chuck, for that 